0: Welcome to Elsewhere. My name is Ian Ditchburn. And I'm Cody Herridge. Yeah, so we're
1: back. We are back. It's It's been a while. Yeah, summer kind of took the wheel there for a while. It's hard to be inside of a studio when it's so beautiful outside.
0: Yeah, not so much anymore though.
1: No, things got real Vancouver real fast.
0: Yeah, no kidding. But the upshot is we are back in the studio and we are extremely excited to be bringing you Season 2 of Elsewhere.
1: Season two?
0: Yeah, well, we started roughly around this time last year, and in my head, the new year always starts around September, probably because of the school year, and yeah, that's just always how I thought of it.
1: I don't know, it doesn't make any sense to me, but... Well, anyway, (laughs) we
0: are going to start this season with an election special, talking to NDP Granville candidate Yvonne Hansen. When most people talk about being the change they want to see in the world, they go up and buy a reusable coffee cup, and that's kind of where it ends. But Yvonne yeah, I really... Those. You ha- yeah, oh, you too. Oh, yeah. You're a good guy.
1: Well, you know. yeah. But Yvonne really walks the walk. We did have an amazing conversation, but it did get cut a little short. Uh, being part of the Vancouver Co-op radio station, they are going to be some, you know, interesting things going on. It's a shared space. Absolutely. And and that evening we happen to have uh, an experimental noise band in and uh, what they were doing was bleeding into our, our feet a little bit. But uh, I think we have a clip of that, Do you know
0: Yeah, that? we did manage to record a little bit of it. So if you didn't happen to be tuned into Co-op Radio last Tuesday night, we got you
2: covered.
1: <laughs> Check it out. Starting with you.
2: You calling up right now. Come and get your free condo. Hover down the street. Free gallons of oat milk. You can drink all the locally delicious, locally sourced oat milk. will flow like a river. Welcome to the Chip Wilson Memorial Panopticon. Everyone's gonna run for mayor.
1: That was probably the most co-op radio thing uh, I have ever heard. Yeah, things get kind of weird
0: here after dark, but that's part of the reason why it's such a great place to work. Anyway, we are going to play you in with another favorite live performance of mine, recorded on the YouTube channel, The Pink Couch Sessions. This is Defiance Ohio with their song, Airpool. Hope you enjoy it. Yvonne, thank you so much for making the time to speak with us today. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, so you were actually suggested to me by our mutual friend, Sean. Shout out to Sean if he's listening. Hi, Sean. Yeah, and the more we researched into you and your campaign, the more we were excited to get you on the show because it's one of the most progressive, radical platforms that has been suggested by the NDP in recent years. And you are one of the youngest, if not the youngest, uh, candidates running as an MP in Vancouver. So I just wanted to... Ask you what gives you the nerve and motivates you to get into politics at such an early age?
3: Well, uh, I went into university uh, with the intention of getting into politics. Um, I had initially planned to have, like, you know, 10 years between graduating and actually running for office to sort of build my career and, you know, build my network and all that. But we don't have 10 years, Um, we're facing a climate crisis. And we're facing a crisis of social inequality and a housing crisis. And I believe that all of these crises are interconnected um, in such a way that we don't have 10 years for people who are willing to take bold steps to wait. So um, I'm diving in now, and I feel absolutely ready um, and absolutely prepared to do this.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, so before we get too deep into the weeds, I think a good place for us to start would be to getting to know you a bit better. Mm-hmm. So where did you grow up?
3: So I was born here in the riding, but I moved to Squamish when I was about five. I grew up in Squamish. Uh, went to school there and then moved back here. Um, when I was 18 to go to school.
0: Mm-hmm. And how did your experience in Squamish growing up? How, how, how do you feel like that shaped your politics?
3: Uh, it definitely shaped my politics. Um, <clears throat> I'll tell you, tell you a bit of a story. Um, So as a child, I spent a lot of time outside. Uh, My parents were separated, so I had two houses, and both of them had forests within a block of um, going outside. So I spent a lot of time in the river and around these giant, beautiful trees covered in moss and these beautiful brackens and ferns, and I fell absolutely in love with that forest. Um, And now when I go back to Squamish, it's kind of like revisiting an old friend with a terminal illness. Um, This is my childhood friend and I'm seeing it kind of crumble and it's crumbling because of our mismanagement of our forests and our mismanagement of the planet. I see, you know, beautiful lush green mosses that are completely dried out because we've removed the um, broad-leafed, that would generally grow over top to help insulate that, those mosses. And I see ferns that are suffering from stress because they're being exposed to too much, um, you know, methane and carbon dioxide from the roadways. They tore down um, this beautiful forest that was known as Crumpet Woods and they replaced it with a condo development called Crumpet Woods. <laughs> and um, just, yeah, seeing that absolutely breaks my heart, but galvanizes me and you know, crystallizes my resolve to do something, because if we're losing this beautiful um, home that I lived in, that so many people have lived in, we're losing the beautiful home that is our planet. We have no choice but to act now.
0: Yeah. What do you think of the thing that happened to the Cetus to Sky gondola? Did you hear about that? Someone sabotaged it, they cut They cut a wire or something, and I know that when they initially proposed that development, there was a lot of uproar from local, particularly indigenous communities, so yeah, that's kind of an interesting sort of live, moving story. What's yeah, your take on that?
3: Yeah, I, um, I didn't hear a whole lot about that, but I mean, I can tell you that when I go up the Sea to Sky Gondola, which I have been up twice, um, the plant's up there do look incredibly stressed. When you have, you know, these ancient boreal rainforests that are untouched or relatively untouched by um, human hands, and then you just cut pathways through them, I mean, there's certain species of plants and animals that won't cross those pathways, so you're dividing ecosystems um, and breaking those ecosystems into ever smaller, more fragmented pieces, and that stresses the forest out, and you can see signs of it when you walk around those trails.
0: hmm So when I'm hearing you talk, you you talk like a green. Why the NDP?
3: Well, I have a very, I guess, social democratic bent. The greens I like to call sort of libertarians plus climate, um, whereas the NDP really understands what it's like to be on that true left wing of the political spectrum. I personally identify as a democratic socialist, so I need to see policies that involve things like the wealth tax, which is a 1% tax on assets over $20 million, um, taking money from the rich and using that to fund the solutions to the climate crisis. I should say taking money back from the rich, because they've taken it from all of us by exploiting our labor in the first place.
0: Lots of tax loopholes as well.
3: Closing tax loopholes is another one of like my favorite um, policies in our platform is, you know, companies like amazon and microsoft and facebook pay zero taxes anywhere (laughs) so if they're going to be making billions of dollars off the canadian market they need to be paying back into our tax system
0: yeah Yeah, that's fair that's always been the major criticism of the greens is that they have a very progressive green policy but outside of that they don't really have much to say yeah Um, and
3: i find that they have a lot of Um, sort of wacky and often frightening ideas um, as individuals as well. Um, So, yeah, I think I like what the fact that the NDP is a lot more uh, socially cohesive on the inside Mm -hmm. as well as in the platform.
0: Who inspires you the most in this current political climate?
3: Uh, Okay, this is going to be really like cliche, but definitely Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's absolutely incredible. She's a role model Um, I love that when she has something to say, she just says it and she's honest and you can tell that she's not really hesitating trying to choose the right words to say it because the right words to say it are what's true. And that's how she comes across. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Definitely something that I aspire to be.
0: Yeah. I think in a strange way, people admire her for the same reasons people admire Trump. She's kind of a political outsider. She speaks from the cuff. She isn't necessarily as refined as other politicians, so it's a lot easier to believe what she's saying. And I feel like a lot of people are very frustrated with kind of um, traditional politics in that sort of sense. So it's really refreshing to see the other more progressive side represented with a more relatable type of politician.
3: Absolutely agree. Um, I find that there's sort of this cardboard cutout of a politician that... Politicians are expected to aspire to be and that politicians, you know, as the, the archetype, the politician um, are sort of like these mythical beings that transcend what, you know, regular humans can actually be. And so when people aspire to that ideal, they wind up falling completely flat and looking like that cardboard cutout. Um, there's something you know always oh, there's just something about them that people can't trust for some reason and it's because they're not being authentically themselves
0: yeah that's actually pretty true though
2: <laughs>
0: I mean yeah that was always my big problem with him was e- even before the election he just he 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 seemed so photo op perfect oh, and great hair, though. oh exactly exactly and the thing is people outside of Canada I met a lot of uh People from like New Zealand and stuff who come over here and they don't really know how our internal politics is, are, are looking. They just see the kind of so uh, international stage and they, they love him. And they're <laughs> like, oh, you guys are so lucky you have him. And I guess in terms of optics, it helps the sort of, you know, progressive Canadian brand. But in terms of boots on the ground, what's actually going on in the country?
3: Yeah, exactly. Like I feel like that cardboard cutout of a politician is like 100% crafted by you know, optics and for optics and not actually for um, the revolutionary politics that we're going to need to see if we want to have a measurable impact on the crises that are taking place around us. Um, yeah, when you when you compare AOC's style to Trump, I think she goes one farther because she is actually what she appears to be. She is like a bartender with a master's degree and she's in Congress now. <laughs> like um, Trump pretends to be that everyday kind of man when he's actually, you know, questionably a billionaire, um, billionaire real estate tycoon. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That doesn't, I don't relate to a billionaire real estate tycoon nearly as well as I relate to a scrappy bartender from the Bronx. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: That's fair. So do you remember a key moment or issue which got you started off down your political path?
3: Yes. Um, so when I was 17, I went to work with my dad in Whistler and we were, he, we work as a furniture refinishing company. Um, so we go into people's houses and, we refinish their woodwork. Um, usually that's doing tiny touch-ups and things like that, um, restaining tables. And so we were working in these vacation homes in Whistler that literally belonged to billionaires. Um, I worked in a $20 million home. I worked in a $25 million home. And seeing the really bizarre, gluttonous excess of the billionaire lifestyle from the inside really, like, changed me because growing up as a teen watching the climate crisis unfold and then being told that your generation is lazy and wasteful and then going to work in the homes of the people who are actually driving the climate crisis and who could frankly single single single-handedly mitigate climate change like they could feed entire nations they could end homelessness and poverty in Canada and yet they choose not to and why it's so that they can drive you know whatever expensive sports car they feel like driving that day or so that they can have bathtubs made out of agate or, you know, walls that are completely leather, like Mm -hmm. just this disgusting excess. Um, Yeah, that definitely galvanized me to get into politics and make a change because something had to change.
0: What do you think the psychology behind that is? What, What are those people thinking do, they, do you think they just don't believe in climate change or do you think they're like preppers and they're just like, you know, <laughs> yes, there will be climate change, but we're rich enough to avoid it?
3: I think it's like I think it's honestly a pathological need to control more and to own more um, that kind of transcends any logic that could go into, you know, the decisions that they're making. They, they think, well, I'm just one person and every one person has like an equal ability to stop climate change. And they think that intentionally because that way they don't have to acknowledge the devastation that this pathological need of theirs is causing to the planet.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I remember the moment that I had, which kind of woke me up to maybe that the world that we're living in is slightly askew, if not totally fucked, was uh, very close to here. Actually, I was working. It was one of my first jobs working as a dishwasher at Rogers Arena. And um, at the end of the night, we would have to throw away garbage bags filled with sushi. Get off work. Go down to East Hastings. Pretty much to right where we're uh, recording this now. And uh, have to watch people dumpster dive. And, well, you can see why they're doing it. (laughs) But... uh that's when i first realized that this was not you know the kind of peachy keen (laughs) world that they advertise
3: yeah Um, absolutely like that whole thing where like oh well we can't give away food because that'll ruin the brand because they care more about the brand than they care about the people who are dumpster diving on the streets and the people who are dumpster diving on the streets because they've been put out of a home because of that pathological need to control more that the people at the top have it's oh it mm-hmm. is makes me so angry to see it makes a lot of people really angry um, there's this thing called the paperclip theory um, so if you have a bunch of paperclips in a jar and you reach in and you attach two paperclips together and then you do that again you put that back in the jar and then you attach another two and attach another two eventually you'll get one paperclip chain that's extremely long and you know several other individual paperclips and saying that people who have Earned billions of dollars is like saying like that that paperclip that made the extremely long chain is inherently worth more than the paperclips that didn't get to form part of that chain. Mm -hmm. Um, It's ridiculous when you think of it like that. But for some reason, that's, you know, the morality that governs our society right now.
0: So how did you get involved with the NDP? Did you just start volunteering and then it sort of found its way?
3: Yeah, actually, I had a guy walk into my campaign office last week who is getting involved with our campaign in exactly the same way that I got involved with my first campaign, where you just walk into the office and you're like, hey, I want to volunteer. I got a poli sci degree and I want to want to get some experience. And so he came in and he shook my hand and we signed him up for some volunteer shifts. And that's exactly what I did. Um, Kennedy Stewart's campaign in Burnaby South in 2015.
0: Mm -hmm. And when did they ask you if you wanted to run?
3: Um, I actually, (laughs) I kind of asked them. um, It was at an activist group meeting that somebody who I had recently met was like, hey, there's still a spot open for a candidate in Vancouver Granville. Um, So if anybody knows anybody who's like wanting to run as a candidate, wants to fill that spot, please let me know. And then like a month later, um, I was having a spirited conversation with my partner's parents about uh, the state of politics and kind of being frustrated that I hadn't seen any real climate action yet. And like frustrated at, you know, the state of politics and being like, you know what, I'm like so close to just being like, I'll run. And then I was laying in bed that night and I was looking up at the ceiling and I was like, I could totally run. I could totally do it. So I texted the guy from the activist group and I was like, hey, is that spot still open? He was like, yeah. And then here we are.
0: Yeah. It's funny. My girlfriend always encourages me in the most kind of backwards, funny way. Every time I'm sort of doubting myself or what I'm capable of, she looks at me dead in the eye and says, Ian. Donald Trump is president. Anything is possible. That literally went through my head. Literally, I was thinking, you
3: know what? If Donald Trump can get elected, like we're in the universe where like anything can happen. Like you could be the MP or the NDP candidate. Like
1: this is the alternate timeline.
3: This is the alternate. We're already on it. So like, let's just keep on and see how crazy it can get.
0: Yeah, and I think you're the right kind of crazy. You're right Yeah, if he can do it, you definitely can.
3: That's what I like to tell myself. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what do you see as some of the key issues in your riding?
3: Definitely the housing crisis is like a key issue specific to my riding. Um, Vancouver Granville covers a lot of single family homes and a lot of buildings, a lot of purpose built rental, and all of those are being affected by uh, the housing crisis in unique and equally terrible ways. Um, I'm currently being affected by the housing crisis i definitely pay over 50% of my income in rent apparently 3 out of 10 people um in certain ridings in vancouver pay over 50% of their income in rent um so it's it's you know absolutely ludicrous how far out of hand it's gotten and a lot of that has been you know federal mismanagement of the housing policy landscape um and then the climate crisis is another big one because um as much fun as it is to stress out about your rent at the end of the month it's even more fun to stress out about your planet at the end of the year it's a, it's great <laughs> being mm-hmm. sarcastic um but yeah the climate crisis is something that is affecting all of us and scaring all of us
0: so when you're not trying to save the world what are what do you do for fun this all, all this stress 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 what what who, who are you? What, you what do you what do you do to relax <laughs>
3: Uh, well, right now I play Minecraft, but that's only because I have really? about an hour at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, that's fair.
3: Um, usually. I <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'll show you my Minecraft okay, later. So, <laughs> um, but usually, I well, I do portrait photography, which is something that I honestly enjoy. Um, so I'll do take a model out and take them around the city and take a bunch of pictures. I like to like experiment with neon and fun colors, and then I also do um, really extreme indoor gardening. <laughs>
0: Extreme.
3: Extreme. I have like a lot of house plants. Yeah. Like, Matt, I'm not joking with you. Um, <laughs> it was a funny conversation with my partner the other day because I was like looking around. I was like, you know, if we have too many house plants, you, you just let me know. Like, I'm not going to get rid of any of them, but I definitely won't buy any more. He was like, no, you know, we could have like at least twice as many plants before I started getting concerned, and I was like,
0: all right, <laughs> like, th- they're the one. Gonna double. We're just gonna keep buying
3: <laughs> house plants then. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you can get lots of hanging plants. You know, if you're out of if you're out of counter space, that's a real that's something we've been working
3: on. Yes.
0: (laughs) So before you were involved in kind of campaign politics, you were an activist. Could we talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, um, definitely have a lot of love for my activist group. Still had to kind of go my separate ways when I got involved in electoral politics. But if I don't get elected, I'll definitely be back. I did some work with Extinction Rebellion. I did some work with um, Force of Nature, which is a municipal focused, municipally focused uh, group. Did some work with Dogwood. Um, I'm sure there's one that I'm missing, but
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. why, why did you have to cut your ties with them? Is that some sort of campaign law thing?
3: Yeah, actually, Our Time is the one that I was missing. Sorry, Our Time. Shout out to Our Time, the youth-led movement for Green New Deal. They're amazing. Can't believe I forgot them. Sorry, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's election law, so. Um, I don't think that you can be involved with multiple activist groups, um, or at least multiple third parties, and you can't be involved with a third party if you are part of a campaign. And I mean, I'm I'm part of a campaign, yeah. <laughs> so um, it's called collusion. So wasn't mm-hmm. able to continue.
0: Fair enough. Um, what did you think of the whole Second Narrows Bridge protest? Did you hear about that at all? When I they didn't hear about they... that? Oh, no. Yeah. So basically, I believe it was Greenpeace. They had, I think half a dozen people repel off the Second Narrows Bridge um, presumably symbolically to blockade the tankers that would be eventually coming out of Burnaby Mountain where the pipeline is and uh, yeah they were up for days wow. like people were repelling them food and stuff like that and I believe it ended when the RCMP floated boats down just below them, and they, uh, you know, attached their own wires and just lowered them onto the boats and arrested them. But it was—I uh, was—I was working in North Van at the time, so every every morning I'd get to drive drive <laughs> over and see them hanging there, give a little beep. But uh, I think that I, kind
3: of action is excellent. Like direct action gets the goods. Um, if if you know, voting and advocating for things through protest isn't working, like get out there and get visible. That's something that Extinction Rebellion and Greenpeace both specialize in, um, and it's just an excellent way of sort of inserting yourself into people's regular apolitical lives.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there's a really great documentary. I, I think it's still on Netflix called How to Change the World, and it's about the formation of Greenpeace back in the 70s. Which i got to watch that. Yeah. I have not seen it yet, but I'm yeah. so excited to. It's too. a Vancouver organization, so you really get to see the sort of grassroots of the, the green movement right when it was first starting off and you get a real vantage point at how central Vancouver was in that movement, which if you look at our environment, really isn't all that surprising.
2: Like, yeah, We're, we're blessed
0: to have one of the most beautiful vistas in the entire world. And, um, so there's a lot of jaded young people out there when it comes to politics who argue that you can't change the system from within. How would you debate that?
3: I mean, I don't blame them for that perception. Um, it's definitely frustrating as a young person because you know, mainstream politics doesn't tend to cater to the issues that affect you because mainstream politics has this perception that young people don't vote. Young people don't vote because mainstream politics doesn't cater to the issues that affect them. Um, So that's definitely something that I have felt. Um, But the only way to bring youth representation into parliament is to get into parliament and represent youth. So that's what I'm here to do, Um, whatever the naysayers may say about the possibility of it.
0: Hmm. So maybe we could talk about the Green New Deal a little bit.
3: Yeah, yeah. So the Green New Deal is essentially a plan to address the intersection between climate action and social justice. So the idea that making the environmentally friendly path the path of least resistance for Canadians by lowering the barriers of entry to that path. Um, it involves a massive jobs retraining program for workers in the fossil fuel industry Um, I think it's absolutely necessary that nobody loses their job and their livelihood um, in the transition away from fossil fuels. I like to say if you're making $80,000 a year now in the fossil fuel industry, you should be making $80,000 a year in the post-carbon economy working in a clean energy job or something related. Um, It also involves, you know, raising minimum wage, building hundreds of thousands of units of affordable housing, expanding access to transit and lowering transit fees, Um, hell even making transit free which I think it should be Um, expanding access to transit for rural Canadians who are currently forced to take uh, fuel or fossil fuel propelled vehicles to work every day Um, as well as building retrofits so by 2030 we want to have every new building in Canada be low carbon sustainably built Um, and by 2050 we want to have every single building in Canada be low carbon and sustainably built So this is all, you know, really about completely reinventing the way that we interface with the planet. Um, It's revolutionary and it needs to happen.
0: Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to go ahead and ask what all the naysayers are probably asking. How are we going to pay for it?
3: (laughs) I love it when people ask that question. so n- number one, we're going to close tax loopholes. There's about $25 billion in lost revenue um, just from having you know, companies like Facebook and Amazon not pay their fair share in taxes. Number two is we've got a 1% wealth tax on assets over $20 million. Specifically assets, because assets can't be moved. Um, a building can't be moved. So if you own that building, you're paying 1% on it. Um, that's expected to generate about $70 billion of new revenue. Um, <clears throat> Third is that we want to end all fossil fuel subsidies. So right now there's $3.1 billion um, of direct subsidies and by some estimates, uh, $58 billion of indirect subsidies that go towards the fossil fuel industry in Canada. And so that's quite a bit of lost revenue. Um, it's estimated that our climate action plan will cost somewhere between 10 and $15 billion in the first four years. Um, so we definitely have a way to pay for that with those three actions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I did a little bit of research on wealth inequality in Canada uh, just before our interview. And shockingly, uh, because I like to think we're a bit better in Canada than the United States, but if anything, it skews worse. Uh, 20% have 70% of all the wealth in Canada currently. CEOs make 206 times out of their average workers, one of the largest gaps in the developed world. And the top 1% has 20% of all wealth Mm. present in the country
3: something like nine families in Canada own more wealth than four provinces combined. <laughs> like, that's ludicrous. Um, sorry. I actually, there was one part of the green new deal that I didn't mention that sort of addresses this is having more democratically and cooperatively owned um, like worker co-ops, things like that. Um, it also involves things like uh, supporting UNDRIP and working with indigenous communities or sorry, indigenous nations as full and equal partners um, you know, right now there's massive infrastructure, um, developments that need to be made in order to, um, really enfranchise these indigenous nations. Um, and those are things that the current liberal government has been neglecting, as we all know, and the conservative governments before that were neglecting as well. Um, we cannot have any construction without consent. So we want to ensure that we're getting consent at every stage, um, for these infrastructure projects, um, so that's kind of the gist of the Green New Deal. I'm trying to think if there's anything really important that I forgot. Um, oh yeah, and encouraging economic democracy is something that's very important. Making it easier for workers to glean the full profits of their labor instead of having, you know, half of those profits get concentrated in the hands of one like weird bald guy named Jeff would be. Fuck you, Jeff. Excellent. <laughs> <That's no> Jeff. <laughs> Yes, that Jeff Mm. (laughs) really nice place (laughs) (laughs) yeah right now corporations like Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and Facebook don't pay any taxes in Canada or anywhere at all Um, zero so there's about 25 billion dollars I believe just from those five companies um, in lost revenue that we could be gaining every year Um, I should mention the wealth tax uh, was recently priced at um about $70 billion of extra revenue. Mm -hmm. So we definitely have the money there. We just need to have politicians um, and parties that are willing to tap into it and take it back and put it back in the hands of the people.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think we definitely need to make up for the lost revenue buying a $4.5 billion pipeline.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, the NDP's um, sort of Green New Deal-style platform is priced at about $15 billion, I think, in the first term. So right right there in the pipeline, take that out, and the uh, fossil fuel subsidies, that's your halfway um, to being able to pay for it. And it's really, $15 billion is really not that much money when you think of the billions and billions and billions of dollars that we'll be saving in, you know, um, the actions that it's going to take if climate change actually does get to the point where we're burning.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, when you talk about justice, it seems very unfair that the people who very often have had the least to do with global emissions, particularly people south of the equator, are going to be the first to feel the full brunt of climate change. Uh, the hurricane in the Caribbean, a very good example of that. These increasing storms that are happening, affecting regions of the world, which already do not have the money to pay for rebuilding.
3: Yeah, it's it's honestly disgusting. It's an effect of ongoing global colonialism um, that... The countries that have been victims of colonialism are now being victim of this climate change, which is in itself an effect of colonialism. Um, it's just sort of like
1: compounding fucking interest. Yeah, yeah,
3: just like a like a negative feedback loop. Yeah. Um, and it's honestly terrible when you hear people complain about countries like China and India producing the most emissions without really acknowledging that hey, actually, they're producing those emissions because they're producing goods that we consume frivolously here and not acknowledging that we in you know Canada and in the States have the largest carbon footprints of any countries on the planet um, per capita.
0: So one of the NDP's main points is reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. We spoke a little bit about that earlier, but what does reconciliation mean to you?
3: Reconciliation to me is committing to an ongoing process of decolonization so acknowledging that we are still occupying this land um that has been taken so what can we do to give this land back and potentially rent it out for whatever purposes or not um but doing doing this in full consultation with indigenous people um things like supporting undrip uh, committing to The 94 recommendations of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, the recommendations of the Commission on Murder and Missing Indigenous Women, those are all, you know, integral um, pillars of reconciliation. And then we need to be talking about, you know, actually giving this space back. What's UNDRIP? Um, UNDRIP is the UN Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Um, Gotcha.
0: So what's your experience been being a young woman running for this office? How have people reacted to you campaigning on the street?
3: Um, generally people have like one of two reactions. They'll either be like, Oh my God, you're so young. It's so inspiring to see young people out here fighting for their futures. And like, those are the reactions that I love. Cause I'm like, hell yeah, I'm out here fighting for my future. <laughs> like I don't have a choice. Um, and the other one is like, Oh, well you're young. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, I am young. We have a lot of, um, very 21st century problems that we're facing, and we need 21st century solutions. And that's what I'm here to offer.
0: Yeah, we talk about a refugee crisis that's happening now, but... What's going to happen when the Ganges dries up and millions of people lose their only water source? Mm -hmm. Not to mention Nestle buying patches of sky worth their weight in water Mm -hmm. and yearly production in places like India and all sorts of weird sci-fi shit that's going on. The real question is, how much does it cost not to do something? And I think that's really the way people have to frame it.
3: Yeah, and to not do something is going to be hundreds and hundreds of billion dollars and more so is going to be hundreds and hundreds of million lives. And those lives are, are mostly going to be from people who had basically no, um, no effect on the climate crisis and no input on what happens to them.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it ties in with the sort of you know, refugee uh, issues in general, which we haven't really touched on. But I think the real way in, in order to you know, stop people from wanting to come to Canada is to enable them to... Build futures of their own back home. We have a point-based system of immigration in in Canada, which means that only the quote-unquote best get allowed over, and that has kind of the unfortunate uh, drawback of pulling all of the educated, wealthy people out of these poor countries, which are exactly the type of people who could lead those countries into being something more. The brain
3: drain, yeah, the, the brain, brain drain. drain.
0: Exactly, exactly. But we don't don't want to yeah, get too no. far sucked into that. Um. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I have a friend um, who spent some time in a refugee camp in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And he talks about coming here uh, from there and going and looking at the houses in Shaughnessy. And when he talks about it, he just kind of shakes his head and he goes, Shaughnessy, man. (laughs) (laughs) You have no idea. And I'm like, I have no idea. But um, I can tell you, like, the solution to the refugee crisis is not... You know, closing the door and being like, "Oh no, no, you need a university degree to come in here." It's definitely going to be to make that door as open as possible. Because if we're lighting the bottom half of the world on fire, like we can't close all of the gates to the top half of the world. That's mm-hmm. just
0: evil. Yeah, if Nestle hasn't bought all of the water,
3: if yeah, but... <laughs> which uh, my Nestle boycott is going on five years. <laughs> so
0: they own everything. If I know you, it's, it's it's hard. It's, it's like really difficult. And then
3: somebody gives you a piece of Halloween candy, and you're like, ah. <sighs> This is good. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah no, no bottled water in the last five years. <laughs> That's
0: good. That's good. Well, you saw my reusable coffee cup, so <laughs> doing what I'm I am plotting you. <laughs> Definitely. Mm-hmm. I stick to beer. That's good. That's good. Very recyclable. Recyclable bottles. Exactly. You're employing the homeless as well. Mm-hmm.
1: The growlers. Yeah. yeah.
0: There it is. Yeah. So conservatives took your writing in 2011. Liberals in 2015. What's going to be different this time?
3: Well, this time, I mean, last time the Liberals got, I believe, 44% of the vote, and the NDP came in second with 27% of the vote. This time, the Liberal vote is split, like, pretty much down the middle. And so there's a lot of room for the NDP as that second place to come up. Um, I think we do stand a chance of winning, and I am in it to win it. Um, But if not, I'm here to, you know, push this conversation further into revolutionary climate action. I'm not calling it radical climate action, because... As my hero AOC says, uh, to do nothing is radical, um, but to do something would be revolutionary.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I think that's a perfect place to end it. Uh, Where can people find you?
3: All right. Well, the Twitter, um, we've got two Twitter accounts. We've got Vote Yvonne Hansen for Vancouver Gramble, which is tweets by my amazing staff. They're like brilliant and everything they say is so just like, I'm like, yes. And then uh, YVR underscore Hansen on Twitter is my Twitter. Um, So those are all in my voice. Those are things that I've written uh yvr underscore Hanson on instagram is sort of more of a light-hearted look at our campaign and then my facebook is yvonne hansen um for vancouver Granville ndp and that's sort of an update about what we're doing and where we are and things like that really if you want the the ideological backbone of my personality that would be on the, on the twitter
0: <laughs> okay great thanks so much for doing this
3: yeah no problem thank you so much for having me out thank you for giving me a chance to kind of rant about the climate crisis and related crises. <laughs> I appreciate it.
0: Of course. All right, folks. If you found this conversation interesting, please like and subscribe wherever you can.
1: I mean, we, we want to keep doing this and the best way to keep that happening, we're not really making money off this at all, but so we are uh,
0: losing money. We are
1: losing we money off this. losing money off of this.
0: So please, <laughs> please help us.
1: Support us any way you can. Drop Little us some stars. Yeah, <laughs>
0: drop us some stars. Leave us a review. Stuff like that and telling your friends really is the best way of helping us out. So we appreciate it if you do. If you want to reach out to the show, you can write us an email at elsewhere at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at EastvandaElsewhere. You can find Cody on SoundCloud as Bitcrack. And you can find us at our home on the web, Um If I seemed a little bit spaced out tonight, it's because I was... I'm back working in film again, and those 10- to 12-hour days, part of the reason we've been a little bit slow coming back to air, but yeah, I've been pretty tired, so hopefully that didn't bleed through.
1: Uh, He is literally wearing sweatpants right now.
0: They're pants built for radio, Cody. Radio pants? Your radio pants? And I may never broadcast in jeans again. People can only hear me from the waist up, right? (laughs) Anyway, we're going to play you out with a song that's about change, which seemed appropriate. Uh, I know I'm playing a lot of folk punk lately, but it's kind of our show, so deal? I mean, at least they're so indie they're never going to sue us? Yeah, that wouldn't be very punk of them, would it? No. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. One more bit of trivia about this song. I was researching it yesterday, and I found out that it is in part a dedication to the Susquehanna tribe who were murdered when white settlers intentionally flooded the river Susquehanna in order to displace them.
1: Wow, that's a, that's a fun fact.
0: Yeah, now it's all just fucking suburbs, and no one remembers. Crumpet Woods. Anyway, off their album, The Great Depression, this is O Susquehanna by Defiance Ohio.
1: Catch you next time.